Hello, and you're listening to another episode of the Impact Consulting Podcast with me, your host, Loxanne Harley. Today, I'm joined by Sophie Zinser to share her freelance consulting journey. Sophie is a policy analyst and consultant focusing on forced labor and China's role in the Middle East, South and Central Asia. She has worked with refugees and migrants on developing community-focused policy solutions for five years across the Middle East and Asia. A 2018 Fulbright Research Fellow, 2020 Schwarzman Scholar in Beijing, and incoming Chatham House Fellow in London, Sophie is currently consulting in Hong Kong. I had a great chat with Sophie, whose experience gives us some particularly useful lessons learned for how young professionals can get started in consulting. We talk about how she combines her research background with her in-field life experiences and linguistic skills to maintain both a geographic specialism in China-Middle East relations and a thematic specialism in migration and forced labour. We touch on how Sophie uses writing, especially opinion editorials, to build her profile and generate business. And Sophie shares her networking tips, and we talk about how she and I connected by LinkedIn, which is a curious story in itself, an ideal example of how freelancers should network. If you've enjoyed listening to Sophie and feel inspired to learn more about freelancing, feel free to join us at the IC Hub, where we offer free advice and a community of mutual support and networking to future new and existing freelance consultants in the social impact and international development spaces. Check us out at impactconsultinghub.com. Without further ado, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Sophie Zinsa. Welcome to the Impact Consulting Podcast. How are you doing and where are you calling from? Thanks so much, Loxanne, and thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm calling in from Hong Kong this afternoon. It's about 4 p.m. here and a bit cloudy, and I know it's early for you in the UK. I'm just so excited to meet you and hear more about what you're up to. Well, I'm excited to meet you too. And it, I know you say it's cloudy, but it's probably a lot warmer and nicer than it is over here in East Sussex, England. Oh, wow. uh, where it's really cold and we've just brexited out of Europe so uh, <laughs> but we won't get into that um, anyway uh, Sophie really really keen to learn more about your your story and your free and in particular your freelancing story so uh, tell us a bit about who you are and and what it is you do sure um, so I'm a researcher and policy analyst who looks at kind of two different streams of focus. So one is the bilateral relationships between China and Middle Eastern countries. And as an American, I often look at the US's role in those bilateral relationships. And then my other stream is on migration and forced labor. Um, So I began by working with refugees and starting in that sort of field and am currently working uh, on a project with the United Nations University on um, forced labor across Southeast Asia. And I think, yeah, I sort of came into the freelancing or um, consulting bit a bit by accident. Um, And as a virtue of COVID-19, when I was, I had intended to, I'd been living in China and had intended to stay there and got a little bit destabilized and realized that I could be making more valuable impact on a variety of different projects over the course of um, a period I had of six or eight months, rather than sort of focusing on one um, job or task. And I think in doing so have developed a really rich sort of background in these two sectors. And so I'm happy to speak more about that as well. 
Fantastic. And well, I already have a lot of follow-up questions just on what you've said, but uh, give us a, a, you know, take a step back perhaps and give us a bit of an overview of how you kind of, or, or I guess situate your freelancing journey within your overall journey in the sense that I understand you've done, you've done your master's degree already, right? Right. And so you did, you did a master's degree and then is freelancing the first thing you've, you've done full time after doing the freelance, after doing the master's degree, or have you done a bit of a, a job job and then gone into freelancing? Sure. So um, I worked full time for three years between doing my, uh, like graduating from my undergraduate degree and then doing a master's. And I think in the US, especially, it's more common to have a couple of years before you complete your master's degree. So I got my master's in China at uh, Tsinghua University's uh, Schwarzman Scholars Program, which is an interdisciplinary uh, program that focuses on global affairs and global business issues, but is also at its core a leadership development program and a networking program. And it was through that experience that I realized that um, in addition to all of the full-time work that I had been doing, I'd also you know, over the previous three years, I'd also been taking on a variety of volunteer opportunities and um, side opportunities that I wanted to figure out in my next phase of work, how to um, continue as, you know, as, sort of as a monetized opportunity as well as maintain my voluntary commitments. And so I think that um, once I graduated, I had a period of six months between when my position as a research fellow at Chatham House will begin um, next week, actually, and um, yes. after I graduated in July. So I wanted to find um, some interesting projects to complete in the interim. And uh, that's when I really started to get into more freelance and consulting work with NGOs and, um, yeah, and writing as well. Very cool, very cool. And so, well, so does, does that mean that you are already leaving the freelance world or is that something you're going to combine with freelancing or is freelancing something you're going to dip in and out of depending on your uh, situation? Sure. And I think, well, I think this is something um, that you, that you're the impact consulting hub actually brings up really well is that these types of freelancing jobs. So having work alongside your original international development uh, job helps kind of bridge these silos between, um, you know, policy writing and, analysis, like what I will be doing with Chatham House and the international development practitioner side of what I do or the writing side. Um, I think too often in this sector, we get kind of pigeonholed into one stream of work. And as young professionals with a lot of energy who have the ability to really grow a network and manage their time well, I think we're at this interesting nexus of being able to go deep in whatever day-to-day -day job we actually do, but also be able to maintain our other interests and projects so that we were kept abreast of multiple fields. Because I think even just over the past six months of working across kind of the China Middle East uh, stream as well as forced labor, I've been able to see the intersectional uh, overlap between these issues in a way that I think my supervisors at all of these types of institutions haven't quite been able to see because they're more narrowly focused in what they do. And I think that that's, uh, so in a short answer to your question, freelancing is something that I'd be very interested in continuing to do alongside a full-time role. Fantastic. And so you, wait, uh, you moved to London then? Uh, very confusing uh, COVID-19 times, but 
I'm going to begin working remotely from here in Hong Kong until the situation improves in the UK uh, safety wise. Here in Hong Kong, we don't have, um, we're under partial restrictions, but we don't have the level of restrictions that the UK currently has. And so I've been uh, able to begin remotely which is uh, kind of sad because I really wanted to go to London and uh, start with my team kind of on the ground there. But um, I think given the uh, sort of situation, it's best to begin from Hong Kong. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I'm just excited by the prospect that we may meet <laughs> offline. In- <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, yeah, and I see we have a lot of things in common too because you mentioned you studied in Beijing as well. At, um, well, for, for those... As a, as a Peking University uh, alumni alumnus myself, I can I can inform viewers that Tsinghua is the second best university of China. So uh, <laughs> I see how it is. Lots of design, but um, the rival schools are now in dialogue. So yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, I wondered if you could share with us as well what a typical project looks like to you, a typical consultancy project looks like to you, just so that our listeners can really understand what it is that you consult in. Sure, Um, there is no kind of typical project. So I work on a stream of, I guess, two types of work. Um, One is more writing influenced. So I work with, um, I've, you know, published op-eds or in my current UN role, I'm working on publishing, you know, completing a research project and publishing the findings in both academic type writing products as well as um, policy pieces and op-eds. And so there's kind of the writing stream and then there's also the um, project management and project support stream. So while I've been um, in this period of time, I've also worked with um, a local NGO that I had worked with in Jordan to help put their um, running camp, which we host every year into an online digital format. And so that took sort of an online team direction as well as um, working with a a philanthropic organization based in the US called Scenarios and uh, supporting their needs as they transitioned online. Um, And I think those kind of sort of balancing of project management and writing tasks um, are give me the ability to both use my social tendencies in terms of managing people and projects to their um, highest potential, as well as honing my writing skills further. Okay, very cool. And uh, I'm also curious, and I think a lot of viewers, uh, viewers, uh, listeners rather, would be interested in understanding a bit better how you manage to work in multiple areas of work. Um, so you mentioned that you were you, you specialize in, you do kind of the China Middle East relationships, <clears throat> excuse me, the China Middle East relations work, and mm-hmm. uh, and then you also do the the migration forced labor side of things right. as well. So I, I'm I'm curious as well. I mean, and and I think a lot of people out there uh, within the Impact Consulting Hub and also those who are interested in consulting are multi passionate and are multi multi skilled as well. And I'm just wondering how how are you finding that? Do you do you have any challenges? Um, convincing clients that you're an expert in both sides? Uh, how do you do business development concurrently in two different areas and so on? Sure. Yeah, I think it is sort of a parallel approach of language fluency and use as well as uh, 
an extensive network that I work to build and maintain in both sectors. So I speak uh, French and Arabic with pretty full working proficiency and I'm proficient in Chinese as well. And I think the ability to be comparing and analyzing news and uh, policy updates in sort of multiple languages gives me an added advantage, particularly as an American um, over other candidates, as well as kind of, um, or like not even an advantage over others, but more just uh, credibility in those discussions, as well as uh, my work in migration and forced labor in terms of having several years, a total of five years of full-time work experience in that sector. And so I think um, it's kind of, it's always difficult to balance uh, many different things, but I think for people that get energy out of challenge and processing interdisciplinary and complicated problems, uh, it's actually the only way to kind of work um, for some of us. And I think in terms of getting and sort of building this network, I very much believe in the power of networking and peer-to-peer -peer mentoring and kind of um, not networking in sort of a superficial sense of, I guess, sort of giving out whatever the digital equivalent of giving out a business card is, or like talking like you're the best person or smartest person in the room, uh, but kind of really honing in on what your passions are and finding other people who can contribute meaningful dialogue um, to what those things are. And I think another thing that's helped me build my network is having more um, op-eds or analysis that's published and written about um, gives people the their name or puts my name in someone's mind when they're looking for someone on China Middle East stuff or when they have a specific problem uh, that relates to migration and forced labor. And I think the more that young people can kind of have the confidence to do that and understand that particularly people like me who spent several years working across the Middle East and Asia, like people who have the on the ground experience and network to be able to make valuable contributions in the language in which those contributions make the most sense. I think that um, those skills shouldn't be undervalued and actually from what I found aren't really being underestimated by people who are hiring for those jobs because they see the value in that. Very well, very well said. And I also want to, you mentioned the value of networking and mm -hmm. and you also mentioned a little bit how you, how you do networking and I, I want to pay you a compliment for that because we connected because you wrote to me on LinkedIn to introduce me to one of your colleagues or, or friends uh, as a potential podcast guest for my my main migration and diaspora podcast and I was um, actually, I think I was quite surprised when I received that message because I was like, who's this, this person who I don't know is just <laughs> helping me out. And, and then I ended up, of course, interviewing that, that friend and, and, and she was a great podcast guest. And so, you know, it, it and, and the way you, I, I remember the way you contacted me as well, you know, you, you wrote to me very articulately and, uh, and it was just, it was just helpful. So you know, thank you for that. And also, I think it's, it's a really good example of, of how to network well. And we're going to talk about this in a future um, meetup with uh, Martin, Dr. Martin Russell from the Networking Institute about how freelancers can network properly. I'm not sure if that will have already happened by the time this goes out. But, you know, I think that's just a, such a great example of, of how to build those meaningful connections by helping people. Um, so, so, you know, thank you for that. Um, and I wanted to ask as well, I'm curious as to 
you know you mentioned how you kind of got started by by accident accident in a way as a freelancer which is how a lot of us get started and i'm just curious as to how you got that first client sure um so i think again kind of the power as you spoke to that example um, i always hope people don't mind if i reach out to them on linkedin especially if it's a more kind of peer-to-peer -peer thing or people like you who are starting really interesting projects that you know i want to be involved in and somehow helping um i think like i i'm really interested in what you were saying before about kind of how um you how important it is to network as a freelancer and how that's really the start so when i got my first job right now consulting with the united nations university it was mainly through um finding on uh, a job board this posting and not just applying for the job but finding the person who was hiring for the job, looking up sort of who they were and what they were about, reading some of their materials and forming a well-written introductory email um, through a mutual connection that we happen to have um, that introduced me to their line of work. And it helped again, as I think it helped when I had initially reached out to you that I am genuinely really interested in the work that you're doing as I am with, um, with Hannah and her work with the United Nations University on forced labor. And so to kind of parlay my skills via email into something that was a bit more than a cover letter um, and definitely called into the writing a lot of references to things that she had already written um, was able to show that like I had done my homework and if hired in the position I would as well. Um, and I, I think I just, I wouldn't underestimate because a lot of people are looking for talented freelance work right now, as difficult as the, you know, global economic situation is and hiring situation is, there are all these weird gaps uh, that need filling. And so the more that you can be reaching out in a genuine way when something crosses your desk that you think is unique and that you have a unique value add for, I don't think it will ever, it might not work out at the time, but I don't think it will ever be a negative, uh, sort of like net negative. Like I, for example, with the Synergos uh, position, I had reached out using LinkedIn to um, this woman who I'd been connected with, who was the Asia global director of uh, the company who I'd known through someone in New York. And I'd reached out to her mentioning that I'd had coffee with this person, Erica, and that she'd mentioned that I speak with Natasha. And um, this woman immediately called me up and was like, great to see your CV. She ended up being an incredibly warm and wonderful, you know, person who's been such a mentor to me. Um, but that initial sort of like helping uh, that initial connection happen through having already had a connection with someone in their network has helped me to form more robust connections. And so, well, when I originally reached out to Synergos in April or May, um, it didn't turn into a paid opportunity until October um, because I was able to maintain that sort of connection or check in. Um, and again, in a genuine way, because I genuinely cared about their organization. And I thought they must be experiencing some stresses because of COVID. I have some skills in online event planning and sort of writing content and hosting. How can I help? Um, I, because there was sort of that like genuine nature, I think that actually helped connect the dots in the end. You know, very, very well said again. And I think um, I, I totally agree in terms of, I don't know, I think a lot of people listening probably have tried before to apply to consultancies that are listed on, on Relief Web or, or wherever it is, right. and perhaps not had a lot of success. And I've also been in that position as well, where I have applied to a lot of things 
uh, particularly uh, early on in my consulting career where I had that kind of initial fortunate coincidental start to my freelancing career and then tried to scale up through different ways. And one of those ways was to apply to different consultancies because I think in an ideal world, we'd, we'd like to think that every consultancy is kind of a, a meritocratic process of where you apply to it and and right, right. the best proposal. But I, you know, it does, I, I, I think many people could probably um, understand the feeling of feeling like you're throwing your CV into the abyss over and over again when you don't get responses. And I think one way, one very important way to improve that response rate is to be able to connect with someone who either is, you know, ideally hiring for the consultancy or if someone who knows someone who's hiring for the consultancy or knows someone who knows someone who's hiring for the consultancy. And, and you, and I don't know, I think some people are uncomfortable with that at first because of course it goes a little bit against how we'd like to think the world should be in terms of it being, you know, open, democratic, meritocratic, fair. But at the end of the day, I think, especially I, 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 I had this feeling when I came to actually hire consultants in the end for, for, for bigger projects, when you don't have a lot of time to hire consultants and you've got to go through your networks because that ends up being the best and most time efficient way to do it, to find right. the right talent. And so I think that's a really good point uh, about trying to not only apply for consult. Well, I mean, I think your first story teaches us a little bit that we need not only to apply for consultancies, but we should also make sure that we network in the right way uh, to make sure that we have some contacts on the inside as well. Um, I also think, yeah, going off of those points, you're being a consultant, I think gets dramatized as being this kind of glamorous, you know, you're able to take on a bunch of different projects and focus on what you want and, um, you know, work with high level people across different fields, which is true if you end up doing it correctly. But it is also very difficult, like work, like you have to balance your different priorities. You need to be really skilled at time management and relationship building and relationship maintenance, which is almost harder than building relationships anyway. And so I think like anything to dismantle this idea that like, um, it sort of comes easily has to begin from your initial reach out or your initial connection. And so if you don't do your homework in the initial field and you expect because you went to a fancy school or you're like a fancy person that somebody's going to immediately recognize that in your one or two page CV, it's not gonna, it sort of doesn't work like that. Absolutely. And I like though that how you say that people think it's kind of uh, consultants kind of glamorous in a way. I feel there's different views about this. I feel some people yeah. look at consultants and they think that we're just jetting around the world working next to hotel rooms. Uh, I mean, it also depends on the, the area of the world that you're consulting, right. about, particularly in, in the African context. I feel people think, oh, consultants, you kind of jet in and you sit next to a pool, you work from a pool, you work the hours that you want. And <laughs> and anyway, and, but I think there's also an alternative view where people think, oh, consultants, you, you're always having to chase projects and, you know, you're, um, it's, it's a precarious situation. And I think, I think all of these realities exist, right? So, and, and I think that the fact that, uh, I think I, I sort of saw it, saw it as glamorous myself before, before starting mm -hmm. it. And the fact that you said that, I think it makes me think that some people think it's cool and therefore they get interested in it and then they try it. And then mm -hmm. 
for some people they have misperceptions and that might prevent them from doing something they like to do and then other other people perhaps just have no interest in the kind of um the the way that you i don't know there's a certain hustle to the the freelancing game and some people perhaps are not suited to it but anyway we'll, we'll talk about the kind of suitability to freelancing in a lot of upcoming content and podcasts um yeah yeah i, <laughs> Sorry think, that no, I think for sure and i think going off of that people think that about any job right like people some people are drawn to certain jobs because they think it has a level level of glamour or prestige that it may or may not have for them and i just think every individual is so different and every company's needs are or organizations are so nuanced that like it doesn't you could be the smartest person for the job but not the right fit for the job at the same time and that's true of any sort of field um, and i think the more honest and open with yourself and your employer as you can be about like what your capacity is is kind of the way to thrive in that but i think for people more generally who have high energy high ambition and a lot of interest in multiple um very sort of critical and inter interlocking sectors I think consulting is actually a really good option, but yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. I wish we could go by a pool every day, Luxem, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, for the first few months of my consulting life, I was working by a pool every day just because uh, I was in Burkina Faso and that's the only good internet connections that, that existed in the country were at nice hotels where you'd pay a little bit to spend the day there. So, uh, but anyway, that's uh, previous life. Um, and so now, nowadays, I mean, how, how do you, you, how do you do your business development usually, or um, do, I mean, is it, is it all through introductions these days? Do you apply for stuff? Do you, do you have a website to do a bit of marketing? How do you approach all that? Yeah, so for sure. So I, my primary focus um, over the past couple of months and, you know, will continue to be um, until I start more of a full-time position, uh, has been and will be on the um, like United Nations University work that I'm doing. And so in addition to that, I've also been doing some uh, freelance writing, which uh, should be out in the next couple of weeks. But I think in terms of um, more is, long- is that, what, what sort of writing is that? Is that blogging? Is that op-eds? Is it- um... It's like op-eds. Yeah, yeah, so I'm working on stuff with The Diplomat and um, awesome. the South China Morning Post. And I think um, those have been really just incredible teams and editors uh, to get the opportunity to work with. And I think uh, going forward, I'm hoping to, yeah, kind of uh, continue those uh, projects as well as uh, take on more full-time stuff. But I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely hope to sort of continue to pursue this multidisciplinary approach to analysis, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and okay, so that's kind of the main marketing business development you do is the writing yeah. side of things. It's okay. writing, exactly. And that's what I was referencing there. But I'm, I'm hoping to also um, work on a website, which I'd hope to do over the holidays, but I'm not quite sure where those went. Um, so I'm hoping to do that later as well. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll develop some content, I guess, with our lessons learned from doing doing a website. I mean, it's not it's not yeah. a process and it's more of an online business card for most freelancers than right. anything that has to be particularly complex or, or optimized or whatever. Um, but it cool. can be useful. And, uh, and okay. And I know you've already given us a lot of really useful tips and, and tricks and advice and everything, but what, what are your business, what would you say are your biggest lessons learned as a freelancer? I want to squeeze you for all the, for all the free <laughs> tips and advice that, that I can for get. Sure. Out of you. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think, 
um, I think there's kind of a kindness and a firmness that all freelancers have to have um, that has to come with sort of a lot of understanding and patience for how demanding uh, someone else's role is and sort of how limited or broad their capacity is to be able to support you and sort of know sort of the right questions to ask. And there is a firmness in standing up for yourself and ensuring that whatever deliverable you're working on uh, gets the kind of, you know, uh, procedure that it deserves, whether that's uh, following up with payment or, and like very, I'm very lucky to have uh, been blessed with excellent sort of um, supervisors throughout this freelancing period who have been so um, sort of kind on following up. But I think in terms of um, those, you know, the kindness and firmness are things to maintain on also the peer-to-peer -peer mentoring opportunities, I think are really huge. I think um, impact consulting in this kind of field is, as I was saying to you earlier before we started recording, takes on this competitive edge um, when really it's a collaborative process. And young people who are working on these major issues of what our world's going to look like you know, in 20 or 30 years need to be connected to each other and doing the most that they can to support each other if they actually care about figuring out some of these thornier problems. And so I think I've been really rewarded um, by people who are really kind to me and I've given so much, you know, they've given so much to me. So I think it's uh, the least that I can do to be as giving as possible. Um, while also, as I said, the firmness, like setting limits and ensuring that I'm not over my capacity in any one field or project. Exactly. Well, well yeah, fantastic. And well, I think um, the the firmness. Well, how did you put it? You have to be firm, but uh, kind. <laughs> kind, yeah, being firm. Kind. Like Midwest, <laughs> spot on. I mean, it's it's of course more of a an art than a science, and uh, I'm always trying to get the right balance. I'm not sure if I do. Uh, you know, it's but well, I think I think having some some basic policies like clients asking clients to pay you within a certain time frame right. and then follow following up once that time frame has elapsed i think is a way yeah. to make it a bit more um policy based instead of uh you know just just hassling hassling your clients um right and then you can also kind of hide behind your own policy i think i'm at the stage where i'm trying to develop some of my own policies to hide behind because you know especially the clients kind of clients we work with you know un clients they like to hide behind their policies and say, oh, I can't, I can't do anything about it. It's in finance now, uh, which is somehow some sort of black hole. Um, so <laughs> I'm starting to say, well, LH Consulting's policy is to take payment within X number of uh, what, uh, next X number of days. So I'm sorry, it's, it's the policy. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. And so lastly, I mean, how can people find out more about you and connect with you? Sure. Um, so I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, as I've mentioned before. So feel free to sort of add me on there and include a little note about how you found my profile. As I said, I'm always interested in helping um, other young people move into the development world, uh, whether that's through consulting or through government work or through whatever sort of makes them uh, passionate. So I'm happy to connect there as well as on Twitter, uh, Sophie Zinzer. It's my full name with an at sign in front of it. Okay, cool. Um, we'll yeah. add that to the show notes as well. Um, well, Sophie, I've, I really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. And with, I thank you so much for sharing your journey and sharing your lessons learned with our IC Hub community. Um, and so, yeah, just thank you. It sounds like you're doing great work. And I'm hoping that you'll get to London once, you know, once all this 
corona business has blown over and hopefully that'll be later this year so please do that stay in touch that yeah. would be really exciting to meet and thank you so much for the opportunity to chat today thank you so much for listening to the impact consulting podcast if you want more free advice and guidance on becoming a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space head to impactconsultinghub.com and subscribe to our mailing list we'd love to see how we can help Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.